It's amazing to be in the presence of God. You can keep it if you want. You can hold it if you want. Shabbat Shalom, church! Welcome, welcome. You know, I was talking to, um, to Edwin this morning. He always asks me every Saturday. He goes, Pastor, how was your week? And I said, man, it was good. Tiring, but good. And my wife can testify of that. Very tiring, but good. And I told him, I said, but you know what? I look forward to Saturdays. <clears throat> because when I walk in through the door, it's like, a, it's like a breath of fresh air. I don't know what it is, but when I walk in through those doors, it's like all the worries, all the tiredness, everything just goes like right out the window. And I'm like the Energizer Bunny all over again until service is done and then I crash. <laughs> Physically, I need some rest after that. Um, but yeah, God truly just, again, he just pours out this, this strength out of, out of himself because, you know, we know that the strength comes from him. We can only draw from him. Amen. You know, our physical strength eventually um, ends, but the, the spiritual strength that God can deposit into, that, does, that never runs out. As long as you ask for it, God will continue to pour out. Amen. And so, last week, you know, we finished Exodus 23, and it was kind of like a, a, a straightforward chapter. Um, I really had a great time teaching that chapter. You know, I was actually studying, and at one point in time, I'm like, I sat down, and I'm like, man, this chapter is, there's not much to it. Let's just teach it as it is. You know, there's nothing that you really need to go deep into it, because the words themselves, as we read them, they're going to speak. Um, but this chapter that we're going to about to get into this morning, it's a covenant chapter. Amen. It's a covenant chapter. Amen. And I think that we need to be reminded of what a covenant is. You know, I said it this morning in prayer as I was this Thursday listening to the Torah portion that was given um, with my wife. I w we were in our kitchen and we had the phone there and we were listening to. Um, and I was just laughing out of pure joy of what was being spoken, it was confirming what I was bringing this morning. And um, so this morning you're gonna get a double portion if you listen to the Torah portion. Hey, I kind of flowed, huh? <laughs> double portion to the Torah portion. <laughs> um, but before I get into that, um, if you're watching online, we wanna welcome you. My name is Pastor Leo, and um, we wanna announce, you know, last week I forgot to announce, but. Our podcasts are up and running. Please, please, um, uh, I would like for you guys to please share this as much as possible. You know, somebody from the church, as you guys know, has taken the time out of their day to do this. Um, and he's done an amazing job. Uh, he's on top of it consistently. And he's plugged us in and literally in everything that you can imagine. Uh, you know, from Apple to Google to Spotify, which are the three major ones, but you also have Anchor and Radio Public and Breaker. So we have six podcasts that wherever you go about your day, if you don't have the time to physically sit there and maybe watch the video on YouTube or, or through our website, you can kind of just put earphones or whatever, or your iPods, I mean, um, 
earpods and kind of and kind of just go about your day or whether you're at the gym or wherever you may be and you can listen to word amen, amen. so please please share a podcast um you know social media get it out there let people know uh because it's a great form to stay informed of what we're teaching here every single week amen, amen. um you can find us in those podcasts in one spirit miami uh, and if you'd like to partner with us, if you're watching live and you'd like to partner with us and you'd like to sow a seed into this ministry, uh, you can go into onespiritchurch.com and you can uh, place your seed there and um, you will get a return email with our appreciation for that. Amen? So, again, last week we went over chapter 23 of Exodus. And um, if you miss it, please, I do encourage you to go back. Go back and listen to it because um, God literally addresses every single topic in Scripture. And right off the bat, chapter 23 started speaking about gossip, which is a major topic that, you know, if we can be honest, we all get involved with at one point in time or another. And um, he addressed gossip and he addressed gossip and what we become when we get involved in gossip. And so go back to it. I don't want to spend too much time on it, but please go back to that chapter and really listen to it. Take the time to listen to it, uh, because I truly believe it's, it's going to edify your life. Amen. Um, so again, this chapter 24 is a chapter of covenant. And a covenant, it's sometimes I, I don't feel we understand what, what, what a covenant really is. And the covenant that Joshua made at the cross, where he even bled for it. The blood that was shed on Calvary at that cross, it is the seal of God's covenant. It is the seal of God's covenant when he comes into an agreement with us. And so God is faithful to see his covenant through because his son bled for it. And the question this morning is, what are you willing to do to see through it from your side? What are you willing to do to see through it that's going to cost you because it cost him everything? But what are you willing to give up to have a binding covenant with your heavenly father? What are you willing to sacrifice? And I think that word sacrifice sometimes to us doesn't mean much. And sacrifice should mean everything to you. Everything. Because he sacrificed everything for you. Now something I want to start with this morning is that time and time again we call our people of faith, right? We have faith in the word of God. And so how do we display that faith? Is it simply by just words? The devil can't have faith. He knows the Bible better than you and me. It's through our actions. Amen. And I think sometimes our actions don't align to what we're speaking. Mm. You know, there's an old saying and we said it, you know, actions are, speak louder than words. That's a very true saying. You know, we can say we believe in God and all this, but when it comes down to the nitty gritty, are actions showing the same or they're showing opposite? So if we're called people of faith, let our actions show such things. Amen? In other words, God instructs us that we do, and out of pure obedience, okay, we've been speaking about obedience for quite a bit of time now, out of pure obedience, not out of obligations. So whatever he instructs us to do in his word, we do it simply out of obedience. Not because God obligates us to, because it should, be, it should come out of us to obey his word. Because we know that whatever he instructs us to do is good for us. 
it's not going to be bad. And therefore, we, out of us, should come out this obedience to just do what he instructs without any questions. Without any doubt, without any fear of what's going to happen. Or how about if it doesn't turn out right? Or how about if I do wrong? No, listen, if you obey the word for what it stands for, Amen. you will not do wrong. Amen. The problem is when you begin to doubt the word. And you begin to have fear on the unknown. But that's what walking by faith is all about, right? You don't walk by what you see. You walk and you trust and obey in his word that the outcome, it's going to be good. <clears throat> so we walk out of pure obedience, not of obligations, even though sometimes and some people see it this way. Listen to what I just said. Sometimes what we've done now to go back to the beginning of the book People see it as, oh, you're under something. You're obligated to do this. You're obligated to do that. So it is a burden. Now all of a sudden they're telling you that you're like under a burden for following the instructions of God. And if you look at it that way, I'm sorry to tell you you're looking at it the wrong way. The instructions of God are not meant to be a burden. The instructions of God are meant to be freedom. freedom and a light to your path. That's what that scripture means. You know, a lot of people just memorize scripture without really knowing the root of that scripture. They just blab out a bunch of words, but don't realize what that scripture truly means. And actually take scripture out of, con uh, take, uh, scripture out of context. Let us not be such people, amen? Amen. Now, if you remember last week, I also mentioned that God spoke things into existence. Better yet, he called it holy. Better yet, he called it holy. And not negotiable. Come on. Not negotiable. And it was a binding contract between him and his people, and he called it holy. What I'm referring to is the Shabbat. It is a holy day, a day set apart for him to rest in his presence, and there was no negotiating in that. He never left it up for negotiation. He had created it and stamped it since the beginning of time. That was part of his covenant. And we will see something in scripture today that's going to be powerful. Even when Moses was in the presence of God, God obeyed to his word. Please don't miss that. We'll get to that later on in scripture. So again, God's covenant, it's not negotiable. And I think too many times believers are trying to negotiate God's covenant, God's instructions, and what they're doing is they are tearing apart the, the, the purity and the holiness of God that he has set since the beginning of time. And in a sense, if you, if you think about it, what you're actually doing is going against what God has established. You're saying that whatever he said, you have better ideas of. What he established since the beginning, it's not good enough. You can do better. That's what happens when we sit down to negotiate with God. That whatever he has said for our lives, we have better ideas. We have a better outcome. We don't like what we're going through. I, I, God, this is not for me. I have better ideas of how my life can turn out. 
Why don't you just allow me to intervene a little bit and let me show you what I could do? Have you noticed that whenever we do that with God, God steps back because he's a gentleman? And eventually, those great ideas that we have end up hitting a wall. And so what we thought we advanced in life, we in reality went backwards. God's instructions and God's covenant is flawless. It's flawless. There's no way that you can look at it and think that you can do better. And when I mean you, I include myself in this. None of us can do better. God's covenant is flawless. Look what Deuteronomy uh, chapter 11, verse 26 through 28 says. When we obey God's word, what we're doing is bringing greater glory and honor to God through the testimony and the conduct towards his instructions. It's all about bringing him glory. It's all about bringing him honor. None of this is for you. It's the blessing is for you by obeying it, but it's not for you to take honor. It's not the glory is not for you. It's for him. And so when you obey these things and you testify of these things, at the end of the day, it brings them glory and it brings them honor. Again, look what Deuteronomy says will be up here. Deuteronomy 11, 26 to 28. It says, see, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you listen to the mitzvah of Adonai, your God, that I am commanding you today, but the curse, if you do not listen to the mitzvah of Adonai, your God, but turn away, turn from the way I am commanding you today to go after other gods you have not known. So you have a choice. God is a gentleman. God does not force, God does not obligate you to do anything. He simply places life or death. Obey or don't obey. You obey, you have the blessings that I'm speaking about in my word. You don't obey, well, suffer the consequences. I can't save you or intervene in your disobedience. Because then I'll be going against what I preach, in other words. And I'm not talking about me, I'm talking about God. If God were to intervene in your disobedience... He will go to the very nature of who he is, which is obedience. And so he allows things to happen. And then when those things happen, that we turn to him, he's there waiting for us. But in the midst of your disobedience, God doesn't intervene. He's waiting for you to crash. He's waiting for you to experience the consequences. And then when you say, okay, Lord, I can't take it no more. He says, I told you so. Should have listened the first time. And so we go before him, we, we repent, we ask him for forgiveness. And God, as a loving father that he is, he says, come on back, my son. Come back, my daughter. I've been waiting for you this whole time. I was watching you, and it was hurting me. But I needed for you to experience what you were going to go through. So you can understand what happens when you're in disobedience. Obedience demonstrates our faith and trust in God. That's what obedience does. 
It demonstrates faith and trust in God. Amen. It is the key to our success and is the sure and promised way to unlocking God's blessings for our lives. All that you get out of obedience. Amen. Not only does it show other people the faith and the trust you have in God, and also it shows God the faith and trust you have in Him, but it unlocks the blessings that God speaks about in His Word simply by obeying what He instructs you to do. Now, in this chapter here, we will see an initial obedience by the Israelites to God. But the question is, would it last? We see an initial obedience. I mean, the question wasn't even done asking. And they were saying, yes, we will. We will do everything God says we will do. Absolutely. Yes, that sounds great. What did he say again? Does that ring a bell? You know, sometimes God is asking us to obey and just because we've seen his finger or we've seen his hand over our lives at one point in time, we don't want to experience that again. So we say, you know what, God, absolutely, I agree with you 100% without even realizing what God is asking of you. Without realizing what we are committing to, you know what, because we don't value it. We don't think it holds any weight. <clears throat> We're just doing that of emotions. Or because we don't want to go through what we just finished going through. So God says, I need you to, uh, I need you to, um, to agree with me on this. And he, absolutely, whatever I went through, I definitely don't want to go through that again. But what you went through was just out of pure disobedience. So again, the question is, would it last? Let's go to Exodus 24. I'm going to read from verse 1 through verse 3. Exodus 24, verse 1 through verse 3. So then to, to Moses, he said, Come up to Adonai, you and Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel, and worship from afar. Moses alone is to approach Adonai, but the others may not draw near, nor are the people to go up with him. So Moses came and told the people all the words of Adonai, as well as the ordinances. All the people answered with one voice and said, All the words which Adonai has spoken, we will do. Immediately, they said, Absolutely. They sound great. Bunch of blessings, bring them my way. We agree. Let's pause for a second. First of all, we see God direct himself to Moses alone. And then he directs himself to the rest of the people. If you notice until now, this has been pretty much the way it has happened since the Israelites were in Egypt. He kept directing himself to Moses. Moses kept going back to the Israelites. The Israelites were rejecting Moses. No, you're crazy. Get away from here. Every time you come, we go more and more into the hole. Pharaoh is, is abusing on us and all this. And then until one point, until God had to step in, bring the plagues, and everything changed. Here, they went, then they went through the desert. God provided manna. God provided everything they needed in the midst of the desert. Then Moses said, yeah, we're going to be going to the promised land. And then they were like, well, listen, where's the water? Where's the food? It was, a, 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 it, it was kind of like um, 
I don't want to say routine, that's not the right word, but a common practice, I would say, with the Israelites of complaining and complaining and complaining. We will trust God for a little bit, then once something goes wrong, we complain. We will trust God for a little bit, then something goes wrong, we complain. Doesn't that look like our lives? We go through some things and we, 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 we're good with God. We, you know, as, God, as long as God has us here, we're good. Then we experience a, a loss. We experience something that goes wrong. And then we begin to complain. When God has you here, or God has you here, either place, God is in it. Amen. Amen. God is in it. He is here and he's here. He's aware when you're here, and he's aware when you're here. He's the same God. He's no different. As a matter of fact, what you are experiencing here first had to pass through his table. And he allowed, he signed off on it, he said, let it go. You could bring that upon them. You could bring that upon her or upon him. He's capable of overcoming that. And what do we do? We complain. God, can you not see what I'm going through? Why are you allowing this in my life? We're no different than the Israelites. It's just a modern day portion of it. In reality. Yet, if we look around, everything that we have, we have way more than these Israelites had back in the days. There was no cell phones. There was no cars. Those chevro legs is what they had. It was a whole lot of walking done. I mean, them sandals had to be swapped consistently, man. God gives us so much, and out of the abundance that we have, we still complain. You know, there was something said this morning in the midst of intercession that, that was true. You know, we have the freedom to walk into those doors and sit here. And listen to a message, whatever God wants to speak this morning. The nice chairs under AC, without anybody coming through those doors and persecuting you. But yet there are people on the other side of the world that don't have the luxury we have. That have to hide to listen to God's word. Because if they are caught reading his word, if they are caught teaching his word, they're decapitated. Yet we complain. My car didn't start this morning. It's unfortunately can't be here physically, but guess what? There's the internet. Watch it through the web. But what do we do? No, we begin to do stuff around the house. My car didn't start. I don't go to church today. You know what? I just start doing stuff around the house. By the way, Shabbat, you're not supposed to work. We don't take advantage of the opportunities that we have. We don't, guys. These people had way less than what we have, yet we have so much more, but yet we still complain. So again, God directs himself to Moses before anything, and then he directs himself to the rest. But it's not just anybody else that God directs himself to. It's Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu. This was Moses' brother Aaron and his nephews. So these are people that now are being incorporated into the mix of what's about. 
God is involving more people. And you know it's funny because God first directs the word to Moses. And then Moses, and he says, well, it's not just about Moses. It's about Aaron and Nadab and Abihu. And so when we count these, it makes up four. There's four people being mentioned here. And the sages say that this is an illustration of God directing his word to his people and his people carrying it out to the four corners of the earth. He gave an illustration here right at the beginning when he said, I'm going to address Moses first. Moses first. I'm addressing my chosen people. I agree because they were more com uh, com out of compulsion. Everybody else was saying around more than actually agreeing to what God was teaching out of appreciation. More out of compulsion than out of appreciation. Again, they didn't value what God was teaching. Amen? Amen. Now, why do I say this? Simply as we continue to read two words, the golden calf. We will see that later. That's the reason why I'm saying what I'm saying now, that disobedience was not a pure obedience it was it was more of an emotional one and again so later on in Exodus we will read once we get to um, to the golden guy but let's let's go ahead and continue um, chapter 24 verse 4 and we're going to read down to verse 8 you guys with me Amen. says so Moses wrote down all the words of Adonai then rose up early in the morning and built an altar below the mountain please don't miss that along with the 12 pillars for the 12 tribes of Israel. He then sent out young men of Ben Israel, the children of Israel, who sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings of oxen to Adonai. Then Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins, and the other half he poured out against the altar. Verse 7. He took the scroll of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And again they said, All that Adonai has spoken, we will do and obey. Verse 8, then Moses took the blood, sprinkled it on the people, and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant, which Adonai has cut with you, in agreement with all these words. We see that Moses knew the importance of God, God's word and accepted it upon the, the weight that God's word had. And so he ran with it. Immediately, when God speaks to Moses, Moses runs with his word and he wants to share it with everyone else because he understands the value of this. And I think sometimes we don't do that. God gives us a revelation. God tells us something. And instead of running and sharing it with others, we are afraid of what they're going to say. How are they going to look at me now? How about if I reveal this to them and maybe they don't see eye to eye with me and all of a sudden they say I'm crazy or they say I'm just a fanatic or I'm taking scripture out of context. What are they going to say? Why do you care so much of what people are going to say? Amen. Instead of what God gave you. So that you're valuing more the opinion of people than the revelation of God. And we do that far too often. What about this and what about that? What, how are they going to look at me? 
Guys, none of that matters. Someone is always going to disagree with you. Sorry to tell you that. You're not going to be able to convince everyone. It's not going to happen. What you do is share it with them. Place the seed. Go about your way. If they agree with you, great. You can fellowship. We can talk a little bit more. If they don't, you deposit the seed. Go and pray for that person and allow for God to reveal to them what God revealed to you. Amen. That's it. Amen. We're not here to judge people. We're not here to beat people across the head with the Bible yeah. and force them to see things the way we see things. That's not our job. That's, right. That's not my job. My job is just to teach. That's it. That's our job. To bring forth what God has revealed to us, the blindfold that he's removed from our eyes, where he's teaching us now, what he's taking us to, and just deposit it into people's lives. And then pray for that person. And allow God to reveal it to that person as well. Amen. That's it. Moses knew this. And so the second God gives him a word, he says, you know what? I'm running to share with everyone else. All you guys need to hear this. Because remember, he had called Moses separate. The rest of the people were still far behind. The relationship with God and Moses was more of an intimate relationship than everybody else. You know why? Because God knew the heart of everyone else. God knew the heart of everyone else and he knew the heart of Moses. Moses, time and time again, even though he had been bashed by the Israelites, I'm not even talking about the Egyptians, by the Israelites, his own people, he still went and went and shared the message that God shared with him. He didn't care. He didn't care. Never hesitated. Didn't, didn't care if, if, if they were going to reject him for what he was bringing forth. Didn't care. He kept preaching what God gave him. He kept preaching what God gave him. And so God knew his heart. And that's why every time he called, he called Moses first. And he called him separate from everyone else. He says, I need to teach you first. I need to talk to you first because you understand me. Now go share with everyone else. Again, this is an example of how we should be. God gives us something, we need to go share it. Right. Not doubt the word of God. Amen. Never doubt the word of God. Amen. Amen? Now, this covenant on this chapter that we've been speaking about, I need you to understand who it was made with, who wrote it, and who was it for. Let's go back to scripture. Let's read verse. Um, let's go to verse four. Let's read verse four. It says, So Moses wrote down all the words of Adonai, then rose early in the morning and built an altar below the mountain, along with the 12 pillars for the 12 tribes of Gentiles. No? <laughs> Sorry. Um, yeah, I'm like half asleep right now. Let me, let me see. I think I'm reading the wrong chapter. No, sorry. It says here, along with the 12 pillars for the 12 tribes of Israel. Amen. 
So we see that this was made, this covenant was made with Israel. This now is where modern day Christianity says, that is not for me. That is for Israel. It's for the Jews. Interesting they say that. Because in the New Testament, it also says that the new covenant, which they fall under, is made with who? Let's go there. <laughs> because if we're going to prove something or we're going to test something, we're going to test it with the word of God. Amen. Amen. Go to Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6 through 10. Okay. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6 through 10. We don't argue with people. We simply just prove it with the word of God. Amen. Hebrews chapter 8 verse 6 through 10 says. Okay, it says, but now Yeshua has obtained a more excellent ministry. Insofar as he is the mediator of a better covenant which has been enacted or better promises. So we see this covenant has better promises. For if that first one had been faultless, please don't miss this, okay? For if the first one had been faultless, there would not have been discourse seeking a second one. And that's where people stop reading. Let's continue to read I've always said, you have to read it before and you have to read after. For finding fault with them. Wait a second. Let's go back again. For if the first one had been faultless, there would not have been discourse to seek a second one. We're talking about the covenant, it. But look what verse 8 says. For finding fault with them. He's not talking about the covenant. He's talking about the ones that broke the covenant. That is the reason why a second covenant was needed. To remind us what the first Israelites did back then. They broke the covenant of God. It wasn't God breaking his own covenant. Because as we remember last week, we said, Yeshua and Yahweh are one. So, Yeshua is not coming to break his own covenant. That would be an oxymoron. So, the discourse for a second covenant was simply because of the people breaking the covenant. Look what it continues to say. For finding fault with them. He says, Behold, days are coming, says Adonai, when I will inaugurate a new covenant. With the house of Israel. Israel. <laughs> oh, wow. hmm. wow. Wait a second. So I, I thought this new covenant was for Gentiles. Gentiles. We're in Hebrews. This is the New Testament. A new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Because we have to continue to read. So pause for a second. The house of Israel and the house of Judah. 
this covenant is for both. So the division that the modern day church is trying to do between the Gentiles and the Jews, it's wrong. Because in Hebrews it says that God's new covenant is with the house of Israel and Judah. Judah represents the Jews, Israel represents Gentiles. So this covenant is for both. It's supposed to be one covenant for one people. So where is this new covenant? Only for Gentiles. How are they different than Jews? When God himself, God himself speaking here says, this new covenant that I'm bringing forth is for both to be one. Because that was my desire since the beginning. Or don't you remember when this covenant was being given back in Exodus, that, that was being given there by, Mo, by God to Moses and Moses to the people, do we not remember that among the multitude there was Gentiles that came out of Egypt? So the same covenant in the New Testament was the same covenant in the Old Testament. It was not broken. It was broken by the people. Amen. So therefore, a new one needed to be with better promises to remind us what God has established since the beginning of time. Nothing new, nothing to replace, just to reiterate. Amen. So with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, and it continues to say, it will not be like the covenant I made with their fathers on that day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not remain in my covenant. So who broke the covenant? The people did, not God. God didn't say, you know what, we're going to do away with that one because I didn't like it. You know what, I made some mistakes. Let me rewrite it. No. God does not make mistakes. Amen. Or didn't I just say that his covenant is flawless? His instructions are flawless. Clearly there in scripture says, for the covenant was, they did not remain in my covenant. So meaning the people broke the covenant. And I did not care for them, says Adonai. Verse 10, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. Israel. After those days, says Adonai, I will put my Torah in their mind and upon their what? I will write it. Meaning God is writing it with his own finger. Doesn't that sound familiar? Just the same way he wrote the first covenant with his finger. And because I'm doing this, because I'm doing this, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So is there a replacement covenant? No, there's no replacement covenant. God didn't come to do away with his old covenant because his old covenant was the same covenant in the New Testament. It had just different promises. That's all it was. But it was the same one. It was the same one for them to agree to. Because the first one, they were disobedient to. So he says, you know what? I'm so merciful. I'm going to reiterate my covenant. Remind you guys about it. That it's not only for the Israelites, for the house of Israel, which we know represents the Gentiles, but also for the house of Judah, for the Jews. So you guys will stop this whole division within my body. 
and we, and we be reminded that this covenant is for both. There's no new covenant written. This whole new covenant nonsense. There's no new covenant. It's the same covenant, just different promises that are being written in the New Testament. That's it. Now this that Moses does should sound familiar. Go to Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 2 to 3. That's with me so far. Habakkuk chapter 2. Is it up on the screen? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I know it's a very small book. I'll get to it. It says, Then Adonai answered me and said, Write down the vision, make it plain on tablets, so that the reader may run with it. What did Moses do? He ran with it. Why? Because Moses understood the weight that it had. Here we see Habakkuk do the same exact thing. He reiterates. Again, this is what God just do. He reiterates. He reminds. So he says, so that the reader may run with it. So meaning whenever you read it, you're supposed to do what? Run with it. Run with it. Not just read it and close it and put it on your nightstand and let it catch dust. Read it and run with it. Share it. Didn't we, open this, didn't we open this chapter by saying that the word we would be taking out to the four corners of the earth? Yeah. Well, that's you and I. Yeah. That's you and I. That's our job. When we read it, we got to run with it. We got to share it. It says, for the vision is yet for an appointed time. It hastens to the end and it will not fail. Mm -hmm. If it should be slow in coming, wait for it. Wait for, it. for it will surely come and it will not delay. Amen. Moses didn't delay. He says, man, this is too good for me to keep it to myself. I got to share it with the rest of the people because what God is telling me here, they need to know about this. Yeah. Habakkuk confirms it many, many, many years later. Now, something that's interesting here that we just read, says that Moses builds an altar. And upon that altar, there is sacrifice. What is this? An altar equates to sacrifice, and sacrifice equates to worship. What Moses did at the bottom, because of the good news that God had given him, and that he couldn't just hold himself and had to share with everyone else, was just adoration and agreement to do back to God and worship God for what God had first given him. God gives him these instructions, this covenant that he's making with him. Moses runs with it, and he says, man, not only do you guys need to hear about this, but we need to show gratefulness back to God for what he's promising us through this covenant. And so what do they do? They build this altar. Then he calls the young man. They sacrifice ox on top of this altar, and is a sign, again, of worship. But not only that, what does he say he does with the blood? He says half of the blood he stores it in basins, in, in other words, in jars, and the other words, as he's talking about this covenant, and the people say, yes, yes, we agree, we agree. Moses says, fine, if you agree, here, 
This is the seal of God. What does he do? He says that he sprinkled. Go back to verse, um, verse 8. You want to say? Yeah, so it says, then, Mo then, then Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people. So when the people agreed to it, he says, you know what? Okay, this is not my seal. It's not the Mosaic covenant. This is God's covenant. And because you agree with it, this is God's seal. And the blood is sprinkled over all the people sealing that covenant between God and the Israelites. That's why I said earlier that the blood that Yeshua said on the cross, it is the seal to God's covenant. Now, we see that whenever a covenant is spoken of, blood seems to be associated with. Why? Again, this is the seal of God because it was what God used since the beginning of time when Yeshua came and died for all our sins. He used that blood to say, this is what it cost me. This is my seal if you choose to come into agreement with me. This is my stamp right here. You don't need anything else. Believe in this and this is my stamp. You and I become one. Again, we see the people agree in verse 7. And Moses sprinkles them with the blood. Now God's covenant is not just about hearing it but also obeying it. God's covenant is not just about hearing it, but obeying it, okay? At this point, they were hearing it. They heard it over and over, and they said, yes and yes. It sounds great. Yes, we agree with it. But again, let our actions show what we are agreeing to. Amen. In other words, we... What we believe in our heart and we confess with our mouth, therefore our actions should follow those things. Amen. That is what a covenant is all about. An agreement, what you believe in your heart and you are confessing with your mouth. And that is scripture. Just as God's covenant is non-negotiable, neither does God force it upon anyone. Okay? God's covenant is not negotiable, but also his covenant, he does not force it upon anyone. He, it must be freely accepted. Amen. Did you hear that? Amen. God's covenant must be freely accepted. He does not force it upon you. And that is the reason why the church is in the condition that it is today, because they want to negotiate it. They agree with some things, but some things they don't agree with. And so the things they don't agree with, they want to negotiate it. And so therefore, if you want to negotiate part of the agreement, you don't agree with anything. <laughs> Basically, that's what it comes down to. If you want to negotiate part of it, then you just don't agree with anything. You just might as well write your own agreement and have God look at it and sign it. Because obviously the one that he wrote, it's not good enough. So again, this covenant is non-negotiable, but it also must be freely accepted. God does not impose it upon anyone. Again, in verse 8, we see God's seal by the sprinkle of the blood on top of the people. 
Today, this covenant is applicable with you and I. It is not done away with, like it's being taught, if we choose to freely accept it. But it also has a pattern. This covenant has a pattern today the same way it had a pattern then. First is, the words of God are read. Right? We're reading the word of God. We're reading the covenant that was spoken about back in Exodus. This is the first pattern. Second of all, a sacrifice must be made. Back then, they sacrificed animal. We know that Yeshua is our ultimate sacrifice. He's our atonement. So therefore, there is no need for a physical sacrifice per se. There is need for a physical sacrifice of the flesh. So there was a sacrifice back then. There was a sacrifice of the flesh and there was a sacrifice of blood. Nowadays, we know that the blood that was shed at the cross became our atonement, became our ultimate sacrifice. But every day, daily, we must sacrifice the flesh. So we see the pattern. We read the words. We sacrifice. Number three, we then agree with the words. We come into agreement with what was spoken. Not just partially. Not what we want to negotiate with. We come into agreement with all of it or none of it. And last but not least, we are sealed by the blood. The same way Moses got the blood of the sacrifice and sprinkled it over the people of Israel, sealing that covenant between God and them, wow. the same way you and I are sealed by the blood that was shed Amen. by Yeshua at Calvary. Amen. So we see the pattern of the covenant back then, and we see the pattern that we do nowadays, both of them freely given. Both of them freely given, not obligated, not pushed upon you, freely given. It is up to you to choose what? Life or death. God is so precise and so perfect that he does everything. There's patterns to it. Amen? Let's continue to read. Verse 9 through 11. It says, Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and seventy of the elders went up. They saw the God of Israel. And under his feet was something like a pavement of sapphire, as clear as the heavens. Yet he did not raise his hand against the nobles of Ben Israel. So they beheld God and ate and drank. Interesting that scripture there. Very interesting because it almost seems that that scripture contradicts scripture it says they saw they saw god but wait a second i thought scripture says nobody could be in the presence of god when you study this it the sages believe that it was a manifestation of the presence of god the same way when the burning bush took place it was a manifestation of the presence of god so it says that he was in the presence of god but it was a bush that was being burned, yet not being consumed. What here they saw was a manifestation of the presence of God, and it almost seemed so glorious that they were looking at this sapphire-like crystal instead of a burning bush back then, of the other manifestation of the many that God took. But it wasn't an actual physical 
uh, um, that they were seeing God himself because we know that scripture says they can't, you know, you can't be in the presence of God, obviously, right? So again, it was a manifestation of the presence of God. Almost similar to what Isaiah 6 speaks of. We're not going to go into that. Just go ahead and read it on your own. Isaiah 6 and Ezekiel 1. They give very precise descriptions of a manifestation of the visions that they saw when they saw the presence of God. Visions that both of these men had. Now look what scripture says. That is the reason why I'm telling you all this. Go to John 1.18. John 1.18. We can look at, we can find everything in the word of God. John 1.18 says, No one has ever seen God but the, only, but the one and only God in the present, in the Father's embrace has made him known. Who's he talking about? Yeshua. Yeshua. So we see here that the only one that has seen God is the Son. Therefore, if he was not consumed, must mean that him and the Father are Otherwise, everyone else will be consumed. Let's keep going. Let's go back to Exodus chapter 33. We'll prove it in the old and the new. We'll go back and forth because so we can have enough scripture to prove God's word. Exodus 33 verse 20 to 23. Verse 20 says, but he also said, you cannot see my face for no man can see me and live. Then Adonai says, see a place near me. You will stand on the rock while my glory passes by. I will put you in a cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have Pass by. Then I will take away the hand and you will see my back, but my face will not be seen. So we see that man has not seen God, but the Son of God has seen God. So we, here it proves that they couldn't have seen God, otherwise, they would have died. Again, it was a manifestation of God himself displaying himself in a sapphire-like crystal. Now, this also has a bigger illustration. The sapphire crystal that they saw is spoken about in the book of Revelation. By the way, that is the last book in the Bible, if you don't know that. No, we're not going to go there. But I want to give you the revelation of what they saw. What God showed them and what they saw was simply this. Before in Egypt, it was bricks. Now it is a pavement of sapphires as clear as the heavens. In other words, God is telling the Israelites, I am taking you from bondage to freedom. What you're seeing now is the clarity 
of what I want to show you if you truly obey what I'm instructing you in this covenant. This is what you're going to see going forward if you agree with my covenant. If not, you will still be in bondage some way, somehow. Don't you hear people say sometimes, I don't feel God, I don't see God anymore in my life, I don't see him operating, I don't see him moving in my life the way he was moving at one point in time. Why? Because some way, somehow, they're in bondage and they're not in agreement to the covenant of God. They're being disobedient in some part of that covenant and so therefore, God in that part of their lives, is, is, it's not there. They're in bondage in some part of their life. They're not completely free. This whole um, John 16, where it says, he who the Son says free is free indeed. Okay, that verse that everybody loves to quote. Well, guess what? That freedom cannot be truly experienced if you're not truly obedient. There's no freedom in disobedience and there's no freedom in the disorganization. Then God displays in verse 11 what he looks for in us to do with him every day of our lives. Looking back in Exodus 24, verse 11. He says, Yet he did not raise his hand against the nobles of Ben Israel. In other words, he didn't come down on them. So they beheld God and ate and drank. What is this speaking about? Fellowship. Communion. The manifestation of God that stayed there, stayed there in the presence of all these elders of Moses and his brother and his nephews, and they ate and drank, he says, because God wanted to have fellowship with them. Why? Because a covenant had just been sealed. Wow. Amen. He says, now that we have sealed the covenant, we're going to celebrate. Notice the last couple of feasts that we had, the Feast of Tabernacles and Yom Teruah. How, what did we do afterwards? We feasted. Yeah. It is a celebration of our obedience to what God instructed. Amen. God gave instructions. We agreed to it. We ran with it. God sealed it. And we celebrated with it. That was all biblical. You guys were just coming to get filled up. Well, guess what? It was more than filling up our stomachs. It was biblical. It was a celebration that was taking place of an agreement that we were celebrating of what God instructed. So again, God here wants to have communion and fellowship with his people and celebrate in what they just finished agreeing to. Amen? And I'm going to begin to close with this, and we'll read the last six verses. We'll read from verse 12 to verse 18. It says, Then Adonai said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and stay there. Please don't miss these last six verses. This is so powerful. We'll read it slow. Then Adonai said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and stay there, and I will give you the tablets of stone with the Torah and the mitzvah which I have written so that you may instruct them. So Moses rose up along with his attendant Joshua 
Where did this guy come from? <laughs> so Moses rose up along with his attendant Joshua, and Moses went up onto the mountain of God. So we see that Mount Sinai and Mount Horeb are the same mountain when we read it in Scripture. Remember, remember earlier, we read the Mount, the Mount of Horeb. Now we read the Mount of Sinai. They are the same mountain. They are the mountain of God. When the Scripture refers to it, it is the same mountain. So Moses rose up along with his attendant Joshua and went up onto the mountain of God. Look what it continues to say. To the elders, he said, wait for us here until we come back to you. See, Aaron and Ur are with you. Notice somebody else came into the picture. Whoever has a dispute should go to them. When Moses went up on the mountain, the cloud covered it. The glory of Adonai settled upon Mount Sinai. And the cloud covered it for six days. Then on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. The appearance of the glory of Adonai was like a consuming fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of Bnei Israel. So Moses entered into the midst of the cloud and went up on the mountain. Moses was on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. Verse 12. Who wrote this? Oh. For who? For Israel. And what for? Because everything is found there in that same scripture. Read it. The ending of verse 12. To instruct them. So who wrote it? Adonai. For who? For Israel. For what? For instructions. Were they written to be a burden? No. No. Were they written to be negotiated? No. No. They were written by God Himself for His children to guide themselves. So why are they being spoken of as a burden? Why are they being spoken of as a replacement? When since the beginning of time, God was the one that wrote it, and he wrote it for our instruction. So if we then say that God did away with, or God that, that doesn't apply to us anymore, we're saying that God made a mistake in Exodus chapter 24, verse 12. We're going to cross out that verse. We're not going to read it again. And then we'll do whatever we decide to do and negotiate in the New Testament and decide to follow whatever we want to follow because we, this doesn't apply to us. God made a mistake. There's a new covenant now. He did away with the one that he himself wrote and he himself wrote again. If that makes any sense. But we'll carry on. Now, verse 13 and 14 says that somebody comes into the picture. Says, so Moses went up with his attendant, Joshua. Where did Joshua come from? Joshua had not been spoken to until now. 
What I need you guys to understand is that Joshua was the predecessor of Moses. Joshua would be the one, as we continue to read and go further on, would be the one that would actually take the children of those that came out of Egypt into the promised land. What I also need you to understand that there is a spiritual revelation here. Moses represents Israel, us. Joshua represents Joshua. If you look at the description of Joshua, it symbolizes Joshua. Jehoshua. So in reality, what's taking place here is the presence of God going with Israel up to the mountain to receive what God is going to speak to them. But it also should remind us of something that we've read before. And the confidence that Moses spoke with. Because look what he says. So Moses rose up along with his attendant Joshua. And Moses went up to the mountain of God. Then he said to the elders, Wait for us until we come back to you. Doesn't that sound familiar? When Abraham went up to the mountain to sacrifice Isaac, what did he tell his, his attendant? Wait, because God will provide a sacrifice and we will return. So we see the same confidence Moses has here was the same confidence that Abraham showed with Isaac. Why? Because they both knew who was going with them and who was at the top of the mountain. Amen. Then we see a beautiful spiritual illustration of the cloud. This is not just any cloud. This is the cloud on God's mountain. So if it's God's mountain, it must be God's cloud. Do we remember when the Israelites came out of Egypt, that they traveled through the wilderness? What was God during the day? And by night? So what was covering Moses and what was covering, by the way, Joshua, because it says Moses went up and never said that Joshua stayed behind. Let's read it again. I don't want you guys to miss this. It says, then Adonai said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and stay there, and I will give you the tablets of stone, the Torah and the mitzvah, which I have written so that you may instruct them. So Moses rose up along with his attendant Joshua, and Moses went up on the mountain with God. It doesn't say that Joshua did not come. It doesn't say that Joshua stayed. As a matter of fact, what Moses says is, he said to the elders, wait for us. He doesn't say wait for me. He says wait for us. Until we come back to you. Meaning I'm going to go up God's coming with me, but I'm not coming back alone either. Now, if you have any issues, deal with Aaron and her. They'll be my replacements while I'm gone. But I need to go to receive from God first what he has for me so then I can bring it back to you. And I'm not going and I'm not returning. So then we see what happens. What is the seal? The cloud 
of God over Moses and Joshua. This is the seal. This is another illustration of what God is sealing because of what Moses is agreeing to. Notice that every time God spoke to Moses and said, come up here, Moses didn't hesitate. He says, you know, let me think about it for a little bit. Let me go talk to the elders, see what they say. No, Moses says, okay, we're going. Let me pray about it. <laughs> yeah, I don't even, I don't, I don't want to go there. Let me not go there. I'll preach for another 45 minutes on that one. Moses did not hesitate. Why? Because Moses saw that an opportunity was given, and it was not just any opportunity. It was an opportunity given by God. Amen. Amen. When God presents opportunities, guys, it's not for us to sit back and twiddle our fingers and say, let me think about this one, or like my wife said, let me pray about this. Come on. When God presents an opportunity to you, you got to run with it. Moses didn't hesitate on any of the opportunities that God presented to him. He ran with them. Never question God, do you think this is good for me? How is this going to bless me? Or how is, what is the outcome of this? Can you just show me a peek so I can have confirmation? No. Moses said, you know what, God? Whatever you say, Whatever you say I'm running with it. Amen. You know why? Because I know that your presence goes with me. And wherever I'm going, you're going to be there. And when I'm returning, I'm not returning back alone. You're coming with me. Because you're going to be the one that's going to confirm what you just told me up in the mountain. Finally, we see Moses go into the cloud and is there for 40 days and 40 nights. 40 is associated throughout scripture with testing before a revelation or an assignment would follow. Listen to what I'm saying. 40 is associated with testing before a revelation would come or an assignment is given. Joshua fasted for what? 40 days and 40 nights. When he returned with the presence of God, he then what? Was given an assignment. First he was tested to see if he was withhold, or was, I'm sorry, withstand then the assignment was given. Here, Moses is brought up to the mountain and he's spending 40 days and 40 nights. And we will continue next week on chapter 25. We will see that when Moses returns, he is then given an assignment. So if you're going through 40 days and 40 nights of drought and you're being tested, endure. Because you're about to be given an assignment. Amen. Amen. And when that assignment is given, I need you to understand that you're not alone in it. Amen. Moses, we'll see next week, he is not alone in this assignment. When he returns, he returns with the presence of God to, talk, to talk, um, tell the elders of what God spoke in the mountain. And so therefore, he, he says, I endured, God revealed, I need to show. In all of this, God not only shows Moses comfort and safety in his presence, but also shows the Israelites that were watching, because remember, this was just Moses and Joshua that came up. The elders and everybody else stayed further behind. 
So this goes to show the Israelites that were watching from further down the mountain and even at the base of the mountain, because further down the mountain was just the 70 elders, was Aaron and was Ur, right? Those were the ones that were halfway through the mountain. At the base of the mountain were the rest of the Israelites and the Egyptians of the mixed multitude. That, so they were seeing all of this in the top of the mountain taking place, obviously from afar. So again, this showed Moses comfort and safety in the presence of God, but it showed the rest of the people that are watching this. The more you're willing to trust and obey him, the more he will display himself to you. Who was at the base of the mountain? The mixed multitude. The ones that were iffy. Who were in the midst of the mountain? The elders, Aaron and the nephews of Moses. Who was in the top of the mountain? Moses and Joshua. You see the three different stages? So the question is, which stage are you in? Do you want to be at the base, looking from afar the presence of God? Yeah, I believe in God. Yeah. Do you want to be in the middle of the mountain where you might have a little bit of trust in God? Or do you want to be at the top of the mountain like Mo Moses and Joshua where you're just completely all for God? That whatever he speaks, you're running with it. Because the, most, the more you trust and obey, the more he displays himself to you. And I'll end with this. God encourages us to draw near to him. And I'm going to leave you with a question. Are you willing to? He encourages you to draw near. He didn't just call Moses. He called everyone at the beginning, if you guys remember. But it got to a point that the Israelites told Moses, you speak to us because if God speaks to us, we will die. Remember that? So they, what happened? They got fear of God. Why? Because they didn't trust completely in God. So there was a sense of fear in between. And because there was a sense of fear in between, there was a separation. Now these 70 elders trusted a little bit more, so they went further up in the mountains because now they started seeing that what Moses was saying, it was making sense. So they kind of went further, a little bit higher in the mountain. But the one that reached the pinnacle of that mountain was Moses and Joshua. Those were the two that agreed with God from the get-go. And when Moses spoke to Joshua, Joshua said, you know what, Moses, you're right. You're right. So that's why Joshua became the predecessor. And in a sense, we know that Joshua means Jehoshua, which is yes. the presence going with Moses everywhere that he went. Amen. So again, God encourages you to draw near to him. And so the question is, are you willing to? Let's go ahead and pray.